Good morning. Welcome to Land Podcast. This week, we have a great episode. It's a little bit different. Jared and his co-host Brian from the Habitat Podcast were kind enough to have me on their show. And I asked them if I could post it here on the Land Podcast as it talks about a general real estate market update. It talks about um, some projects I've done here on my farms and also some trail camera talks. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. And next week, we have Kent from First Gen Hunter Podcast as well. And he's talking about his move from Illinois to Iowa and how he bought his farm. So that's going to be an excellent episode next Monday. So be sure to tune into that. Before we get into this, if you're brand new, you've never heard of the Land Podcast, this goal here is very simple. It's to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be on that list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois or looking in the state of Illinois, I'm a licensed broker and I'm happy to help you if you're looking in an area that I have expertise in. And number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I would consider doing business with, I'm happy to make an introduction. And number three, you just simply learn something here that helps you move forward with confidence, take action and get in the game. I want to hear it and add it to the list. That is it. No major updates here. I do have some resources on a website here, whitetail.land. And there is some Warren Buffett rules of buying land that I put together and also the land market update for Illinois for anyone that's interested. So that is it. Hope you have a great week. Here we go. As you were saying, business is good over at Exodus. Yeah, man, things are things are rocking. The team is working extremely hard, and uh, it's 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 uh, trying to. Be, it's like the opposite of calm before the storm. Like it's crazy before the storm because everyone's excited for deer season as they should be, and they're gearing up. And uh, we've been slammed. We've been sent out a bunch of orders, and it's been really good. So it's uh, it's really exciting, and uh, I'm also excited for deer season. And uh, from uh, everyone we've talked to, and the amount of deer pictures I'm getting, it's uh, everyone's fired up as they should be. Any anybody hashtagging Velvet Fest? Yeah, I I see that. I go on there every now and then to see uh, what's going on, and a lot of people are just uh, out there doing deer stuff. I love to see the hashtag get used and uh, used in a manner of exactly what we kind of coined it as, of just the celebration and excitement of deer season and. The, uh, you know, it's, it's August 23rd today. The bucks are pretty much done growing for the most part and they look huge because they still have the velvet on. So it's a, it's a good time to be a trail camera user. I, I said something yesterday on Facebook. I, I thought I had one that rubbed his velvet off already and he still might. I'll send you guys a picture. I can't really tell, but um, it might be a little early for that. I'm not sure, but this one looks like he's he already shredded. So I don't know. It's crazy. I saw Scott Buckley shared one today of a hard horn buck, and then uh, yeah, yeah, I was at the I was at the gas station Monday morning uh, after working out, and someone's like, "Oh yeah, there's already a buck that you know rubbed off its velvet." Like this in banter of hearing that like, I'm getting my coffee. <laughs> it's like every, it's on everyone's mind right now. <laughs> awesome, heck yeah, it's definitely on ours, uh, Jake. I know you've been on here before, episode. 141 a little ways back let's hear about you know who you are quick introduction we'll get right into it yeah so uh, first off thanks for having me on here again really appreciate it <laughs> uh, my name is jay kofer i live in illinois um, i'm the director and co-owner of exodus and also a licensed real estate agent here in illinois uh got my license when i was a senior year in college and also started the exodus as an intern uh when i was a senior in college and uh i've been uh, kind of blazing the path for the last. I looked at uh, I looked at here in January. I'll be seven years uh, with Exodus. So wow. um, I've, I've been wow. there for. It doesn't feel like that, but I've been there for a really long time, and uh, it's it's been a heck of a ride. It's been it's been fun. I've got to meet people like you and so many other wonderful people. So. I'm really thankful for all the opportunities I've had so far. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad that we fit in the wonderful people category. That makes me feel nice. Appreciate that. <laughs> for and, sure. 
we always say that's the best part about the podcast and the stuff that we do, Brian. I mean, for sure, we get to meet a bunch of nuts just like us. Like, I can't have these conversations with people who are around here. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a few, <laughs> but not not as many as as are spaced out hundreds of miles away, right? Yeah. Uh, isn't that funny? Like when you're uh, like your hunting buddies, most people think are probably localized, but in reality, it's, it could be someone an hour away, two hours away or halfway across the country, which is kind of cool too, just to hear what's going on at different times of the year of what someone West of you or East of you or South of you. And it's uh, it is really cool to, to be associated with so many crazy deer hunting people. Cause there's a lot of them out there, or at least we found them. <laughs> at least we found the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure. And, and you, I don't think you mentioned, um, host of the land podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I one of my that. favorite podcasts. I listen to it all the time. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah I started great. that two years ago and uh, you guys have both been a, a guest and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, uh, it's, that's been such a cool project. I didn't really know what to anticipate when I started that. I know I had a couple episodes in the bank and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna press publish and say, I'm gonna have an episode every single Monday. So we're over a hundred some episodes now. And, uh, I just got an email today actually from a guy uh, from Wisconsin and it was such a heartfelt, like really this thoughtful email of like, thank you so much for everything that you do. Help me buy my first piece. And like, that's the exact reason why I started that podcast. And to get those emails and understand that it's not necessarily me helping them, but get, help getting people on there that can help guide other people with their experience. And uh, to me, that's just so rewarding. And it's uh, it doesn't necessarily drive the business one way or the other, but it's it's a passion project, and I'm it's so much fun. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You, if anybody is interested in in land um, buying, selling, managing, you know, we talk about managing it most of the time, but I love talking about the the market and hearing about the market and. I mean, you're you're a licensed real estate agent. So, I mean, how are you spending? What do you say the most of your time? You know, between Exodus, between the land podcast, between the agency, the real estate. Um, it's it's tough, man. Um, I really I, I don't have any kids right now, so um, that's 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 a big help for sure. It's uh it's kind of just nonstop to be completely honest. I mean, a lot of days are really long. Um, I now I can now get up earlier in the day so I can get more stuff done. And, uh, so I've just kind of prioritize and, and get stuff done that I need to. And, uh, I don't have many weekends. It's, uh, you know, like that's where everyone thinks that, oh man, real estate is so cool. And it is, I'm really thankful for that, but I don't think people realize like, Hey, can you go show this at Sunday at noon, Saturday at noon? Uh, actually I'm going to be late. Can I be there at one? And like, you got, you know, you plan your weekend around that and it, it's the way it is, but, uh, it's just, uh, kind of flying by the seat of your pan pants a lot, which is, which is fine. That's kind of how I like to roll anyway. So <laughs> Same. So I got to ask you for a quick update and we could do 10 podcasts about this, but real quick, just give us a kind of like a uh, cliff notes on what the heck is going on with this market. Interest rates are sky high and real estate still flying off the shelves. Yeah, it's a very fascinating time right now because you're right. Interest rates are the highest they've been in 20 years and um, they've gone up fast and there you know there's there's experts and and I don't know what deems someone as an expert but a lot of people think 80% of experts I put my air quotes up there think that rates are not going to go up in September and I've also I bet you they're going to go up so I'm going to go against the grain here and so and the reason I say that is the economy is still like firing away the stock market's still doing really strong and so the whole point is to get inflation down and it's still not under control so I don't think they're going down if anything, they're going to continue to go up here for a little bit. And maybe in 2024, they'll, they'll retract a little bit. But I think the reason things are still flying off is there's just nothing for sale. You know, like there's very limited inventory. And then the other interesting thing is the ag market. And I would just kind of lump in the land market too. And not so much rec pure recreational ground or pure timber tracks, but 
a lot of that's like a separate commodity. Like it's not impacted by the stock market as much. And there's so much cash that is involved in it. Like, so we're seeing higher interest rates, but a lot of, I mean, a lot of the clients I worked with this year bought their properties cash. And then a lot of these large tillable tracks are getting bought cash. And uh, when they weren't, it's because money was so cheap too. So, I mean, it's, sure. I wish I had a crystal ball and I wish I knew what was going to happen, but it's, uh, you know, I can tell you this, if you look to see what you could afford a year ago to what you can afford now, it's probably almost, I don't want to say half, but it's probably pretty close to that from a monthly uh, payment perspective. So, you know, right. like the average, average guys like us are definitely feeling it. And uh, I think that smaller parcels will continue to move. But like even two years ago, like 1031 money was just like filtering nonstop. And that's where a lot of the market ran up because people wanted to avoid capital gains tax. And, you know, they're willing to pay a little bit more to get something under contract. A lot, a lot less 1031s that I'm I'm personally seeing. I still have some people that have a little bit of 1031 money, but it's before it was a lot. Now it's it's definitely the minority of, of buyers at this point. So I don't know. I mean, I wish I knew, but it's it is crazy. And uh, I read a report here this week that land market was still actually still accelerating in some parts of the country, and uh, I haven't seen a retraction at this point. So I don't. And there was a uh, there was another. This is a the housing deal, but I think out of like the grand scope, there's only a handful of times the land the house housing market has ever gone down, and most times it's only down by one or two percent, aside from 2008, obviously. And so I think uh, as op opportunist or optimism, we kind of think like, oh, there's gonna be this giant crash and you know, it's gonna be amazing. I don't know if we're gonna see that across the, the entire country, but there may be pockets that do get hit pretty hard. So, you know, where those pockets are, I have no clue. But overall, the uh, the consensus of all the guests that I've had on the podcast, buy what you can afford, buy what you want, and do it whenever you find the right piece. And like, you know, I think we can all get analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis by, you know, thinking all these different things, but you can afford it, checks off the boxes of what you want, achieves your goals, and uh, you have a good enough financial mode to weather a, a bad storm for a year or two, then I'd say do it. So that's that's kind of a long-winded, uh, my gut check on the market. Yeah, yeah. that's good advice. And, and yep. you brought up a good point about cash buyers. So those pockets might be where maybe somebody's stretching themselves a little bit with an 8% loan here and there, but yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. And I'll just say this too, the commercial market is uh is dead like it's so i mean a lot of those were on arm loans so an arm loan is an adjustable rate mortgage and a lot of those guys borrowed money at let's say three four or maybe four and a half percent those loans are getting due and and they're not going to cash flow at seven eight percent and uh so like a lot of these small banks i think are going to going to hurt and uh i don't know it's I, i'm not smart enough to tell you i just read a lot i listen to every person i can and that's a that's a that's a summary of my thoughts from what i've gathered from information i've read no well said and for guys who who are still buying in this market um it, what what happens if we do hit some kind of crash or or dip i mean I haven't seen them loss. I'm sorry, last extremely long. Um, you know, say say you buy and then stuff does hit the fan. Um, and, and that I think that's where you got to have. I mean, I think having like a worst case scenario plan going into it to where like, okay, if if uh, like you're on a commission job or like if you think you're gonna make X amount, like maybe maybe put that a little bit lower and just know that you have a nest egg that you can service that debt until rates go down or until a you know storm passes. And uh, I think that's probably the most sound financial advice. And the other thing is just don't overpay. Like, I think uh, that's, you just got to buy it right. So like if you're buying at that market or even, you know, a, a touch higher because it checks off so many goals and there is not a lot of stuff available. So it's like, you're in the market and you're ready to go, then, you know, it's just, it's a real tough balance of being patient and then being the right level of aggressive and not letting the world go by in front of you because it, it's easy to do that. I think for a lot of people, 
I mean, it's, you can think of a reason, a million reasons why not to buy. And sure. a lot of times it's harder to come up with reasons to buy. And uh, as long as you're buying something right, you're not paying a crazy price. You know, I think I think you're going to be OK. And and meaning you can weather a storm for a year or two and you don't you know, your life doesn't come and uh, go into shambles and you have to sell it and then you have to sell it 20 percent loss. And, yeah, that's that's not good for anyone. But uh, right. It's 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 important to to look at the worst case scenario. That way, if it doesn't happen, you're going to be a lot happier that uh, that you plan for the worst. Well said, Jake. It's like you've been talking about this every Monday for a long time now. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, I mean, it's fun. To, it's fun to look back now. It's in like 21 or 22 when rates are so low. I'm thinking like, man, I should try to buy more. But it, then, right. I to, then I had to stop myself like, no, I bought what I could afford. I bought what was right. I bought what was conservative to my finances. And uh, it all worked out. But so I don't know. It's uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty two. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, I know you've been doing some habitat work on some of these parcels that you own now. And like, let's hear about what you've been doing. How's the home farm coming along? Um, I mean, you're doing some equip stuff the other day. What you been up to yeah. the last couple of months? Man, I've been uh, every every free chance I've been I've been having here. I've been killing honeysuckle, uh, <laughs> hedge, um, honey locusts, and so. I've been on a tear there of of killing as much crap. Um, so I drew an Iowa tag, and so that's kind of a a, a reason why I'm, I'm a lot more aggressive with my home farm here too. Is like I'm trying to get. I have an equ- I was actually at the NRCS office today, and like the my equip contracts for five years, but I'm trying to bust out almost all of it in one because I just want to get it all done. And that's and that's something I've learned with a lot of people uh, spending time in Iowa with people that have you know acquired a lot of land or people that I've talked to. This is a trait that I've picked up. They just get stuff done. They don't wait. Like the the project of like ah oh, you know I think about doing this or I might I might. I put a food pot in it. They just do it. And uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. So I've taken that ideology up a lot more and just like, just get it done. Don't like drag out these projects. If you have time, do it. And so been doing a lot of that. Um, earlier this spring, planted like 2000 trees um, in a field and uh, I tubed every, I tubed all, all of them. And they're doing really good. I was really nervous in June when it was super dry. And I know we're in a dry spell here again, but um, I was out there this weekend and I had a, a smooth sumac over my head, like seven foot tall already from what nice. I planted this year of just like little two foot uh, bare root. And so the tubes I planted two years ago, I planted about a thousand shrubs and I only got two foot tubes on those. And I don't think I'll do that again with two foot tubes. I think you have to get the five foot tubes because all the deer just, you know, they're poked right out of the, the two foot tube and like they're mowed right down. And uh, I definitely think the five foot tubes are the way to go. It's a little early to say for sure, but I, I would say out of the 2000, I'm probably at like a 65 to 70% survival rate, which is a lot better than what I thought um, I was going to be good. with how dry it was. Yeah. And I think if I didn't have tubes on them, I'd probably be down to like 30% or 40% with browse pressure. So um, that's been good. And then I planted about 400 uh, white pine and cedars. I, I'd call it kind of like a windbreak, but in reality, it's just kind of more of a transition and kind of block off the farm a little bit more. And I actually put up, a, it's a sorry excuse of a fence, but it does the job of uh, like a, a five foot fence all the way around that because I didn't want the deer to eat all the white pine and beat up all the cedars. So there's, there's still deer tracks in there, but it's a lot harder for them to get in and out of there. And so uh, those are, those are some of the bigger projects for sure. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I actually um, on the, uh, the first one I bought, I actually dozed in a just shy of an acre. It's about 0.8 acres of food plot. And that was one of those deals where it's like, when I got it, it's like, Oh, it'd be really nice to put food plot here. And then I was like, fine, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and so that's what we did. They went in there and uh, I don't know how much experience you guys have with hiring out e, like uh, heavy equipment work, but there's something rewarding about doing it with yourself with chainsaw and whatever equipment you have. But I was amazed 
least of what they got done in a day. I mean, I was oh, just it's impressive. Oh my gosh. It would have took me three weekends and it would have looked like crap. I mean, I'm talking no stumps graded nicely. And then uh, I had them put in while they were there. I had them put in a different access road for better access to another food plot. That was one of the things when I bought it. It was like, man, it'd be really nice to have access here. And last year I took a chainsaw and made, uh, you know, kind of a sorry of a trail. But now it's like super clean access in and out, leave the whole south part of the farm completely alone. And so those are those are some of the bigger projects that I'm really excited to see how they do. I uh, planted my brassicas uh, soon after that that plot was dozed in. I got a cell camera up there. They're coming up great. Fertilize it all, and then uh, if we get another rain, I'm going to plant the other half. But um, been pretty busy. I've been doing a lot of projects. I'm really excited about it, see how they turn out. So that's awesome. Tell me about that dozer a little more. Um, what do they get for a rental down by you and for a day? And yeah, I, I mean, when I had 15 acres, the doing stuff by hand and learning as I went over the years was was fine. I enjoyed it. You know, I learned a lot. Now with with bigger bigger parcels in mind and everything else, I'm where your head's at in that point where hire the professional, help them map out what you want to do and then, you know, get it done to your point. Yeah. Yeah. So I had them put in a a 0.8 acre food plot, had them put in a road. Well, the food plot was $3,800. They came in, got it done. It looked really nice. And uh, I was pretty happy with that because that was, we looked at running equipment. It's like, well, someone still has to be in that machine running it. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. that's not, I'm not an operator by trade of like, what well, would take them an hour? It'd take me five probably. So uh, that plot was 3,800. And then that road I put in was a thousand. So I was okay. all in a 4,800. And those are things that I really wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I think it was money well spent. <laughs> like it, that was probably the happiest of a road check of that size ever, because it just, it, <laughs> it gave the farm a completely different feel. And, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, makes a, <clears throat> an impact on the parcel from hunting, I do think it will, but I mean, I, it's too early to say. So, um, you know, for, I mean, you look at, man, they got that, that they mean, you know, they made just shy of $5,000 in a day, but of course, I had to Google how much their dozer or how much their dozer or crawler costs. It was like a you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars piece of equipment, and so right. it's like, all right. And then they had an excavator there and another dozer, and uh, so like I, it's it is amazing for anyone that hasn't seen a project come to life in a day. And uh, when you just like walk in, like, holy cow! Uh, I, I do encourage it. It is expensive, but it's uh, I think it's worth it. We'll see. Absolutely. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of, yeah, it kind of goes back to your your whole you know following some of these guys that that you're hanging out with and and. and learning from get things done i mean the paralysis by analysis you can sit there and think about it forever or you can do it if you got to fix something you can fix it yeah i mean the only thing that you really can't fix is is growing a mature tree back but everything else we can undo for a hinge cut get out of the way you know whatever like there's ways to fix this fix this stuff um where did you find these dozer guys how'd you look them up was it local um it's a it's a client that i've done some business with and his brother owns owns the the company and so i didn't think about i text him like who 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 should i call so i called my brother so i called him and uh, they went out there and looked at it and they're like well we'll, i think we'll get there thursday and get it done and then wednesday they called me like hey are you around can you can you come take a look at this and i was like yeah like sure and i went out there it was all done so i wish i would have took some before and after pictures (laughs) but it was already done before i got out there and uh so i mean i think uh I would encourage anyone just to ask a, ask around a little bit and then uh, maybe get a few bids. I think it's probably a, a wise thing to do and just uh, kind of figure out uh, if they're all within a, a fair price range. But, uh, you know, 
you know, at this point I had a good experience. So I, I might've gotten lucky cause I didn't shop around, but it, it came from a, a good recommendation of someone that I trusted. And uh, there's a lot of people with equipment too. So I think if, even if you, if a lot of those businesses are really old school too. So I think probably if you have a yellow pages book around, I'd probably call it <laughs> yellow pages cause most of them don't have websites or anything. And uh, just call around and uh, say what you got going. I called another guy that was local to me and he's like, I can't get in there until fall. I don't know, that isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I would say pull out the yellow pages or make a few phone calls to people people that you know that uh that have equipment and i think it's well worth it had me wondering like well what else could i get done <laughs> because it's like <laughs> it's so it was a little addicting it's like uh i don't know anyone like do a home renovation you're like oh man it's pretty cool that's kind of the the same feeling that I, that i had well shoot my, sure. my buddy Corey went out and bought a a um oh my gosh uh i'm lacking the term of the equipment i'll come back to that he went out and bought a um a mini i think it's a mini excavator with a with a, a push on the front like a blade on the front he dug a lake he built a berm he spent on that thing for hours at a time. And um, to your point, addicting. I could see how the faster the project is done, the more you can maybe extrapolate in your brain on what could be next. Yeah. And last year on that same farm, we did the the rental equipment. We got a mini excavator and it was like chainsaw cleaning all up. And there was a lot of deadfall in there. So it's kind of challenging. And I spent a lot of time on there and it was like a a third of an acre and that's like and it doesn't look it doesn't look near as good as what they did <laughs> so it's like you look at how much that cost and then the time and it's like to me it was a no-brainer got it yeah time's huge absolutely yeah so you mentioned uh you've been having some periods of drought out there i just saw a report from southern illinois about some ehd uh you've been hearing anything in your area or anywhere around the state <laughs> not yet um but that has me a little nervous um <clears throat> i was actually um when i heard that i was actually going to text my game board and see if you heard of anything yet and uh man it, it's been really dry and then we did have some really good because re- that's from what i understand which is not a lot it's like when it's really dry then you get a monsoon of rain and then really dry again that's exactly what happened here in illinois um over the last you know month and a half or so so i don't i haven't seen any dead deer personally and i haven't heard of anyone but it's also like 115 degrees here with 99 percent humidity so i don't know how many people are walking around smelling dead deer too so i I hope like heck we hit knock on wood. There was a little bit of an outbreak here in 2019 and we haven't had any since. And in 2019, it was really pocketed. Um, There was one area that I hunted and the neighbors said they found a bunch of dead deer. And so, you know, hopefully because um, we, we recorded an episode with, with Skip Sly earlier this summer. And he talked about how a lot of times it is pocketed and like some of these deer can build up somewhat of a tolerance and, and deer do die of EHD every single year. And then some areas where it's newly introduced or a new strain comes, it can wipe things out. So I just, uh, Hmm. I hope it doesn't happen here, but I've uh, a, a trade I've been trying to adopt is like, don't worry about stuff you can't control. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I'm not gonna. There's nothing I can sure. do. So yep. I'm just I'm just gonna roll with the punches and hopefully the target buck I'm after doesn't die from it. Hopefully, dash my arrow ideally. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> Big time. So both, both fingers. Yeah. So along with your habitat changes, what what's your thought process on setting up your hunting strategies? Like, are you you trying to kill them at the food earlier? Are you going on travel corridors? Kind of walk us through how you're setting up that part of it. Yeah. So this piece, it's uh, the particular buck that it sounds crazy. Like I put in that plot for a specific buck. Um, so here where I'm at, crop rotations are really big on how good a farm may be in a year. Two years ago, which is the year I bought it, um, it was a cor- the neighbors had corn, and this particular buck spent a lot more time on the parcel in October and in November. Last year, when it was beans, he was there, you know, until they turned yellow. 
And uh, then he didn't show up until late, like in December. And uh, it's it's so weird because it's like the two schools of thought, like annual deer data, like he should be there. He may have been there, but he was not. I had this place covered in cameras. And I didn't even hunt it. I didn't even hunt it until he was going to show up. He never showed up until late. And so I've got him on uh, <clears throat> camera this summer a handful of times. I have a really good idea where he calls home. And I'm like, I have to be on the very fringe of where he's where he calls home because I've gotten a lot of daylight velvet pictures of him this year and there's standing corn there. So I'm hoping that uh, this food plot will help keep him bedded closer to this food because this should be the best green food source in a good while. Ideally, they'll go in there, hit that and then, you know, head to the corn. Uh, in the evening. So the plan, I was staying set up last year for this deer, except he didn't cooperate. I have where I think he's bedded. And then now where this good food plot's at, I have a stand in between those two and I have a mock scrape set up. And so I have that location where I have good access to get in and out. And that's the plan. Cause I, I'm not a big like hunt over a food plot and it's a pretty small food plot. And uh, the way it is, like there's a lot of bedding on the Hills around it. And I just feel like they're going to see it get in and out. So really it's uh Get him coming and going is the idea. But uh, sure. if he feeds in there a lot, I'm going to try to get in there and kill him. So, <laughs> so it's a plan that will evolve, but I'm I'm trying to kill him on the way to it. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And like I said, this is not a deer where like, oh, yeah, my level of confidence of killing him is pretty low <laughs> because it's just he he was so random. Last year, I felt like uh, in 20, it would have been two years ago. I mean, during the peak of the rut, like seven, he was on camera on the 7th, the 11th, the 13th of November. And yeah, it just, it didn't happen last year. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I like that. It's in corn again. I'm going to use two years of his, like two years ago data versus last year and see what happens. This isn't the buck you showed me the picture of when you bought that farm, is it? Uh, not so this no i don't think you may don't not think be at liberty one. to answer that, that question sure i get <laughs> yeah. it i get it. i was just curious i'll tell that, you off air i'll show you off air that buck would it, be under my craw too for sure yeah for if sure. it's if it's the really really big one that deer died last year uh this one is a is a really solid deer too so um but i'm really excited and then even at my home farm here it's uh the hunting pressure nearby is pretty high and when I bought this, and I have to remind myself this, like we bought it because we liked the location and I knew it wasn't going to be an excellent deer neighborhood, which is point. a lot, it, it's a lot easier to say here right now, but it is really frustrating when it's like you put so much work into it. And uh, so that's why I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm burning this year on this farm, but I'm just trying to get as much done at as much quality cover, get rid of the junk and just start a process of where hopefully I can have a, a mature buck, make it through another year. Like a lot of them, like a four-year-old buck would be kind of the cap of what you would have an opportunity here based off of the last two years. And so that's, uh, you know, aligning your goals with the reality of what the parcel is, is kind of important. And uh, I mean, I left 10 acres of standing beans, 10 acres of standing beans that look good. And oh, I didn't find a single shed antler in it. Like, this is the real stuff that I think people need to hear. Because like, <laughs> I was running the math on that. I was like, man, I should probably hire a guy to come in and combine this and at least get some money back. And I was like, you know what? Like, I got, I did it. It looks good. Let's leave it on there. Let's see how many sheds we found. Zero, zero sheds out of 10 acres wow. of standing beans. And uh, the sad part is like there was even there'd be like a lot of does feeding it and uh, I have my cameras there and, you know, there was this really no buck that was like, you know, the, you know, you have 10 acres standing beans, you're going to draw on a stranger buck and he's going to call home. I, I can attest to it didn't happen. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if that's how crappy this little pocket is or uh, or what. I don't know. It also wasn't a really hard winter to be fair to, but. Um, let's put it this way. I, that's where I put a lot of warm season grasses and everything else. And then I, I actually use a Packer Max, uh, you know, broadcasted all my warm season grasses and everything, uh, earlier in the spring, put in fertilizer and use a broadcast uh, cone spreader and, uh, a Packer Max, all the soybeans, cause there's a lot of beans left. 
And I mean, I have a makeshift soybean food plot this year because of how many were left last year. And I got rows basically of beans in, be- in between my trees and shrubs. So uh, they just didn't, they didn't hit it how I would have thought. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully maybe it's just a thing where it's just going to take time that they get used to that food source being there and then they'll start picking up on it. But who who knows with those bucks, we're always a step behind. It seems like. Yeah, for sure. And in this part, of where I'm at. I mean, it's not completely out of the realm to think that uh, a rut buck would show up. And I've been on this farm so much this summer that, you know, my expectations are kind of low. I mean, it's the, I know everyone preaches human intrusion, how terrible it is. Like I've, I've just kind of conceded, conceded the summer and conceded uh, like in October, if there's honeysuckle that's still green, I'm spraying it. Like I'm not, I don't care. I'm getting in there. I'm spraying it. I'm getting it done. And uh, just having a a longer scope of time of I'm doing this now. So hopefully in two or three years, it'll be a lot better. And I burnt, I burnt this farm twice now. And there's like, there's oak regeneration already happening now, which has me super excited because you just don't see it too often. And so when I'm out there and I'm tearing out honeysuckle, it's like, oh, sweet. Here's a white oak. Oh, here's red oak. And I'm going to tube those now. And it's so it's fun to see those little changes of the nature is responding to what we're doing. It's just going to take a long time. And maybe yeah. maybe it won't take that long. Maybe you guys can give me a tidbit of encouragement <laughs> here. <laughs> well, you're getting stuff done a lot faster than most. And like you said, sometimes you got to sacrifice a little bit early on for the for the long-term goal. So an Iowa tag makes it a lot easier too. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> now, how long have you been applying for an Iowa tag? 2018 is when I bought my first point. Okay. So you so you're you're well deserved. It's not like you just started in. Yeah. yeah. Five, five uh, yeah, so five points in the the crazy thing is I've heard that people did not draw on five points in some of these zones too. So we're the same. It's yeah. uh, oh man, it's uh, I mean, are do, you, are do you guys put in points for Iowa or have you? Oh, yeah, always, yeah. Yeah. Brian, you're up to you're up to uh, four. Or, I'm, or, I think I'm up to four as well. Um, we may try for next year, but again, not gonna like plan around it, you know. So I, we'll see. Yeah, I. I, I Unfortunately, I think it's going to end up being a six-point draw and then a seven-point oh. draw. I mean, it's yeah, like it's just going to get point worse. Of it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it never it never goes backwards from what I've from what I've heard. So, I but I'm really excited, and uh, I've been out to Iowa three times this summer, and uh, so it's like it's uh, I'm I'm planning to hunt with Steve Hansen, and so he he cool. acquired a, he acquired a piece, and so the second time he ever got to walk it now since he bought it, we were there with him. And so it was fun to walk that piece basically the second time he's ever stepped foot on it and like so walk cool. it, hang cameras. And so that was, I wanted to get the full experience. I just didn't want to show up in like, all right, it's October or it's November. I'm ready to hunt. Like it's, it's been fun and I'm really thankful to be able to hang cameras and, you know, get excited and, and, you know, check, check them on, check the Exodus cameras from Illinois. And then like, oh man, there's more big bucks in Iowa than Illinois. It's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of trail cameras, let's jump into your strategies now that you got the work done and you got a couple of bucks located. Kind of walk us through your thought process of when they still got their velvet on, where you're putting them, coming up to the shift here when they shed their velvet. Kind of walk us through your strategy on that. Yeah, so it's definitely an exciting time. And so <clears throat> my summer strategy is pretty straightforward. I mean, and it doesn't change too much throughout the year. I'm just, I'm a huge proponent of a good scrape. A good community scrape, I think, is such a powerful thing. And I, I kind of figured that out listening to, well, I, I was just recording a podcast with someone else earlier this week, and it originated from, I think, 2017 or 18. I listened to one of the very first Dan Infault episodes on the hunting beast. Like it might be episode one, two, or three, one of those. 
And he talked about scrapes that are just adjacent to a predominant bedding area. And then it's like, okay, so then trying to go out and find those where I hunted and I just hung cameras on those. And I was just amazed of the quality of data from those, because I think there's, there's a key difference between a field edge scrape and then, you know, one that is adjacent to bedding. And I think the the field edge scrape is great for inventory still, but that's uh you know, I have cameras on those basically year round and uh, I have a render up on the scrape. Hopefully we'll kill that one buck. And it's, you know, it's on a solar panel and I put it up last August and it's still sending pictures today. So, I mean, mm-hmm. like zero intrusion, you just have it there and deer are still hitting it. So, um, that those came camera locations are kind of fixed. The cameras that are on alpha alpha or clover are still going to probably remain there for a long time. And I don't, I'll be curious what you guys seen too, but last year with how mild of a fall it was, I did not have much clover on any farm that I hunted, but the guys that did, it was really impressive. It was just, it felt like it was the predominant primary food source for a big bulk of the season. And so I'll probably like, I have some clover this year, so I'll have cameras on that. But like once the beans start like here pretty soon, I you just got to take those off, uh, off the beans and, uh, forget about the summer pictures. Cause they're just not going to be there uh, as much. Right, right. And, uh, and then also like, it's really not rock science. A lot of these are like just good pinches, good, uh, spots that are on the map of why deer should travel through there and, you know, have a camera there and, um, it's a lot of, it's just a lot similar or simpler. And, and maybe it is because I, I run a lot of cameras too. So I've kind of been able to refine, uh, what maybe someone that is trying to figure out with just two or three cameras or four cameras or five cameras. And so if that person with five cameras, like good community scrapes are probably number one, a good pinch point. And, and once you get the picture, figure out where's it going, why is he going there? Is he going back to his bed or is he going to feed right now? Um, and really deduct what the deer is doing based off the camera data. And I think that's something that, I have fallen into, and a lot of probably people do is like, oh, that's a picture of a big deer. You don't even think about what was the wind direction? Why was he moving? Was the neighbors picking corn? Were they picking beans? Was like all these different things that can go into that. And so I think that's important. And then uh, another strategy that I need to probably do better than just saying it is like, just because you find a really big deer and you get one picture of them, like you probably shouldn't alter your season for them. <laughs> I've done that. That's about every year. Never works. <laughs> so my goal this year is to find, um, aside from that one, like the biggest killable deer I can find. And I think uh, killable may be different for different levels of skill sets and access, but that's going to be determined by myself here on uh, what that is. And, uh, cause have you guys ever done that where you get a picture of like this random deer and you're like, Oh man, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I think I'm going to put in a bunch of time. And you're just hunting a ghost. Like he'd yep. be two miles away. I, I've done that a lot. Absolutely. And go out there and, and deploy <laughs> a bunch more cameras trying to figure out exactly where he came from and then never see him again. Jared, you're, are you wiser than us? And there's just not enough giant deer here. So I just, <laughs> I'll the first three-year-old that walks out, you know, so, I mean, that, yeah, this, it'd be nice. I, I've never really had a large enough parcel to really, all right, I'm going to free reign on this 160. I'm going to locate him. It hasn't been like that anytime, at least in the past five, six, seven years. But um, when the day comes, I'm sure I'll get to that point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important too. Like a lot of these small parcels, it is tough. Like you're, I feel like you're literally just trying to intercept the buck. Like that's, right. that's what you're trying to do. And, uh, but no, I, I think those are some of the key things for sure. And as, as the season progresses, I'm going to have floater cameras. If something pops up or something looks hot, I'm going to put a camera on it and, uh, and see what's going on. But I'm get, relying a lot on historical data. There was another deer that, um, I drew back on this past fall and I wasn't able to get a shot. I've been getting pictures of them this year has a really wide frame. 
he really didn't grow as much as what I would have thought. Um, I would have guessed he was four or five last year, and I would probably say he's probably five this year. And uh, is I feel like if I'm not in Iowa and I'm here, I probably have a pretty good opportunity killing him. Uh, just I had multiple encounters with him last year, kind of figured him out on the fly, which is rewarding. That just, uh, just didn't just didn't pan out. So that's something I have really uh, I'm really excited. And I found that deer by having a floater camera. And so I think that's the importance of having one. And I know they're expensive and I know, you know, not everyone has a bunch of cameras laying around, but I, I, I do think it's important to have at least two floater cameras in your truck, ready to rock or in your pack during season for those particular things, because inevitably you're going to come across something hot. You're going to wonder what's going on or what made that. And it doesn't always work out, but you're going to be happy when it does. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, um, you mentioned cameras are, I know they're expensive, but I mean, and we'll get to some of your, your new products and everything, but they're getting cheaper. They're getting cheaper, yeah. cheaper and cheaper. And the fact that if you don't have to put your boots set on the ground or, or your, your descent of your body or whatever into a bedding area, checking a camera, that's, that's a big difference maker. Um, you, you run a lot of cameras. I don't know if I want to ask how many or not, cause you're kind of unique, you know, <laughs> the owner of a cell camera company, but, or, or short camera company, but um, how are you setting these up? Are you 10 foot off the ground facing down? Are you three foot off the ground facing straight? How are you doing those? It's different. Um, you know, it's tough because I've been like the guy that has spent a lot of time to hang them elevated and be really careful. And I do think that's probably the best practice, but there's, there's some drawbacks to that. So when you hang a camera higher your detection distance is going to be shortened, the detection zone is going to be a little bit different than what we probably picture how a camera should work. So it's like that that uh, PR sensor is going to work differently than if it's, you know, waist high straight out. So that's something that people need to realize. And we have a, an excellent blog uh, that Chad wrote on our website that kind of details what that is from like a tech standpoint for anyone that is curious. Nice. So, I mean, o- overall I'm hanging most of mine elevated. And then a lot of times I am hanging them kind of like you know, the, the way you're not quote unquote supposed to. And so um, it, that's just the reality of it. And, uh, you know, there's people that swear that deer avoid them. And then maybe that is true. And I also would challenge, maybe it's because of you're going in and it's a standard camera and you're going there and you're checking it out. And then it's a clear pressure point for a buck and he's probably not going to walk there. He's afraid he's going to get shot. And so I think, uh, cell cameras where you're not messing with them could be a little bit more lenient. And a lot of that's even, even if it's far, some of it's farm dependent too. There's some parcels that is lower pressure and I feel like you can get away with it. And then there's other farms where the hunting pressure is harder. And I feel like you got to be more careful there. So I think it's, if a guy that's like you in Michigan right now, or uh, Brian, you in Pennsylvania, like it might be different. A suburban piece for you, Brian, you might want to hang your cameras different than a giant big woods track where there's less foot, less foot traffic. I mean, I don't, I don't sure. know, but that's kind of the theory that, that I always uh, subscribe to. So, I mean, a lot of them, and even a camera that's going to sit there forever on a solar panel, I think you might be able to get away with, uh, with not hanging it. It's, it's, it's so, and this is one of the most conflicting things with deer hunting is you have guys that swear you have to hang them elevated and then you ha- and they kill good deer. And then you have guys that don't care and just hang them and just want pictures of them. And they also kill big deer too. So uh, I don't know what the right answer is, and, and maybe there isn't one. Well, how about give us the top three things you see people doing wrong with trail cameras? Yeah, oh, that's okay. I like that. So um, I would say one of, them, one of the first things is they are hanging them to where they're going to get a bunch of false triggers, and they think it's the camera, but in reality, not to bore anyone, and this is the dummy version of explaining this, but heat in motion is going to trigger your camera. It's technically a change in infrared radiation, but that's the easiest way to say it. So when you have a camera that is on a field edge or something like that, and it's facing where the sun is going to warm that stuff up and then it's going to get windy and you're going to get a bunch of pictures and you're going to say the camera's taking false false triggers. Well, it's really not false. It is a change of infrared radi- radiation. And that's what's causing the pictures to go off. 
So I think understanding that is one of the bigger things for sure. Another thing is not using proper power source. I know lithium batteries are so expensive right now. And I I, uh, I actually bought a lot of uh, Energizer Maxes this year. And I've actually had pretty decent luck here this summer with their alkaline batteries. And you can get away with that in the summer a little bit, but you're not going to get as long of uh, battery life versus lithium. So when you're putting a cell camera out, I almost think you have to use an external power source. Otherwise, you're going to be going in there and change the batteries, depending on the camera location, three weeks or maybe a, a month or two months in. So I think that's another mistake that people don't want to spend the money on the extra power source, but inevitably you're going to spend more time and more gas and it cause more impact than what an extra dollar a battery is going to be. So I think that's something that we all have to come to come to terms with. Uh, the SP18 on our website, it the break even, like it was harder to sell those a couple of years ago, but now it's like people just, yeah, I'll take one too because of how Man, I early love those things. the yep. break even. Yeah. And you just set it and it's boom, it's firing away. And the number one question we get about those is, does it? what if you put it in the timber? Well, it absorbs ambient light too. So even if it gets a little bit of light or it can suck in ambient light. So that's where the one that I put up last August, so a year ago, a full calendar year ago, it's in a timber setting that does not have much sun and I have not changed the batteries. I haven't even touched it. And it's still sending pictures. So I think that's a good example of um, use, a, use an external power source. And the third thing that I think people do wrong when they're setting their cameras um, that's a tough one because I, I've made a lot of mistakes myself. I would say, make sure that you have an SD card that's formatted to your camera and make sure you turn it on. <laughs> I tell you what, I think we've <laughs> all done it. Uh, just take the oh, time yeah. to really make sure that you're not going to get the branch that slaps out there or your strap isn't tied down good enough and it's slapping and getting your, you know, getting a bunch of dumb pictures. So I think those are take the time to really think about it. And also that comes down to just the location of why am I putting this camera here? What am I hoping to accomplish versus like, oh, here's a trail. Well, maybe that works, but maybe there's a better spot. And, you know, back to a paralysis by analysis, you don't want to spend an hour out there trying to figure it out. But um, I think that's something that's really important. Like put some thought process in there. Um, you know, it's a, it's a resource, maximize it. And, uh, you know, hopefully get, hopefully get more information. That's why you're putting them out there. Oh man, you see me over here. I'm, I'm head nodding like the kid in the front row and <laughs> Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. If you remember that, like, I don't think I even used my my solar panel the first year, and and that's the stupidest move I've ever done. I had one last year at the fifteen that I finally pulled off after I sold it. Um, over a year, hundred percent right. better, hundred yeah. percent better yeah. for eighty bucks, you know, or whatever the the solar panels all yeah. on the website. Um, you guys have a lot of good deals going on, but like I bought, I think a a forty eight pack of batteries or maybe thirty six pack of tractor supply that was like forty eight dollars. So yeah. I'm almost covering, and that wasn't even lithium. It's almost <laughs> the the solar panel costs. And man, and you had to go change it. Yeah, with with a render, it just sits there. Yeah, mm-hmm. no issues. Absolutely over here. Over here. And yeah. call it a plug, commercial, whatever you want to do. But I swear that thing did not have to be touched. Yeah. It worked. Yep. That's and that's well, the, the whole thing. A lithi- the panel is a lithium battery itself. Correct. Yeah. It's a lithium rechargeable battery in there too. So when you have lithium batteries in the camera and then also a set, like you're getting your bulletproof. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the key thing. And there's guys this year, I know that just ran the solar panel with no batteries and, uh, Oh really? You can do that. Yes, You can do that. Yeah. So it, there's some drawbacks there is what the panel does is not have enough power. Then obviously your camera's not take pictures. Um, or if a raccoon or a squirrel pulls the cord out. But if you're extremely on a budget and you don't want to buy batteries, like it is, a, it's an option. I'm not saying it's a great one, but it, but it's certainly an option. And I, um, I know a lot of guys are using like an external battery as well that you put in an ammo box. Yeah. I I bought two of those. I just wanted to test. I haven't put them out yet, but I mean, that's a, that's another option too. And those are, those are pretty affordable as well. I mean, that's a, 
another option. I just, I'm not sold on the idea of having a battery box like on the ground right next to the tree. Uh, I think that might be a little weird, but who knows? I mean, if you have, if you're in a state where you can bait or something like that, you might, you might be able to get away with it. Yeah. This I'd is know. what I'm testing this year. What's that? A rechargeable battery? <laughs> oh, rechargeable. <laughs> I'm trying them in some of the cameras. I'm, I'm probably going to regret it, but you have to doing a little back. testing. You have doing to a little report testing. Back. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you have to at these prices, man. Like, it's crazy. I remember when you could buy a 12-pack or an 8-pack of lithium batteries for like 12 bucks, and now they're $23, oh, uh, $24. It's crazy. And when you run a lot of cameras, that adds up really fast. Really fast. Oh, yeah. 12-pack on eBay, 18 bucks. Probably have to pay for shipping. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah, so... The, Point is, great top three mistakes there. Appreciate that for sure. Um, very timely information too. So I'm uh, moving, speaking of, of, of solar panels and, and Exodus Outdoor Gear products, let's talk about a couple of new products you have out this year. Um, I, I know the Rival cell camera. Brian and I will be running a few of those this year. Um, yeah. Get some arrows. R- run us through what's new with Exodus. And we're not even through like your new product launch. You get more stuff like in the yeah. pipeline coming down. Yeah, well, let's have to tease those, but I'm, I'm excited yep, sure. to tell you about the Rival. Um, we launched this in January and it was kind of a direct result of what people they wanted a reliable camera that was more affordable the render is uh you know it's a more expensive camera it's our flagship model and it's it's an excellent camera but so we basically figure out a way to make it the most cost competitive reliable camera that we could at a really good price point so they're 180 dollars on the website and they still come with a five-year warranty they still come with a five-year theft and damage uh, policy so you're not you know limiting or or uh shooting yourself in the foot by going with the cheaper camera but it's a very just basic camera. It's literally just one switch. You just turn it on. And it's it's about as easy as it gets. You literally can scan this thing, get it re- uh, registered, and you're up and going like in a minute. And you turn it on and you're ready to go. And so the picture quality on them have been excellent. And the flash unit's a little bit different. So the, the render is a true uh, black flash, no glow camera. This one's a red flash camera. And so it still has the black plastic here. And so if you walk by it in the middle of the night, you would see a red glow, but you're not going to see like an actual flash in it. And with that, you're going to get a little bit better night pictures. And then the the day pictures on the rival are awesome, man. I, I, uh, you know, I tested a bunch of them this last fall, really liked them. And the more I run them, just the more I like them. They're just so darn bulletproof. They're extremely reliable. The battery life has been really good. Um, I hung one last year, one of those floater cameras, the one I was talking about, I hung that late October and it was still taking pictures on this set of lithium batteries all the way into February. And so, I mean, the power consumption was really good. And uh, it was a it was a good signal area and not a super high traffic area, but I mean that's that's really solid in in my book. And uh, overall, the feedback has just been excellent. We've sold a lot of them, and uh, it's just people want a simple, reliable camera, and that's what we built, and that's what people like. So it's 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 re- rewarding and refreshing that we listen to consumer feedback, and it was truly what they wanted. So I mean we're uh, we're a pretty nimble company. I mean it's uh, we're not a giant team. We listen to our customers. We try to do better, and uh, that's kind of this our our ethos over the last eight years. And um, it's it's we have a, a great customer base that are are awesome people. And pair that with the warranty and you know the customer service. You're not going to get that out of other cell cameras in a similar budget price range, right? Yeah, I mean that's the thing too. It's people. People kind of get caught up, I think, too, where they can save 10 bucks or 20 bucks. But the reality of it is, how long is that camera's warranty? When you buy a rival, you're guaranteed for five years. So take 180 divided by five, and that's what your yearly cost is for a camera you're going to have to replace in a year or two. So let's say even if you if you were a two-year warranty, so you're getting twice, you know, two and then some, uh, multiple for, for the same product for a similar price. And 
Sure. Um, that's to me really important. And I know everyone, you know, has their different things, but to me, that's peace of mind is worth a lot. And if you do have a problem, which we hope you don't, we're going to fix it. We're going to, we're going to solve your problem. And, uh, if we didn't, we wouldn't be in business. So it's like, we, we really back up with what we say. And, you know, for anyone that has one of our products and they have a question, like we're here to help you. We have a ton of videos on YouTube that will educate you regardless of what camera you're going to use. If you just want to learn about external power sources, you want to learn how to figure out what signal you're going to get. I mean, we have so much information out there that should be useful to any trail camera user out there, period. And that's kind of just how we do business. Well, I know that we can confidently say your products are outstanding. They, I haven't had to call them for a warranty or customer service. And I have your cell phone. All right. I haven't had <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I'm not. Yeah. So it's, 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 you know, you put your money where your mouth is and that's refreshing. Um, that doesn't only go for camera. So that's your, that's your new camera. Yep. And we launched the NIS. This was also from customer feedback. So last year we launched the MMTs, which is a standard diameter shaft arrow. And then uh, this year we came out with the 204, which is the NIS. And uh, that's been a, a really good project. Uh, Cameron kind of spearheaded the aero side of the business and did all the testing. And uh, man, the, uh, this is the only bad thing with the arrows. I've been shooting them. They're knock busters, man. You got to shoot a different, they all fly the same. You really got to shoot a different, <laughs> got to shoot a different circles. You're going to be out some arrows. And uh, I think we, uh, you know, we, we relied on some other people in the space that are experts in, you know, I, Truly believe we sell a excellent, excellent arrow shaft. I think we sell excellent components to make an awesome arrow. And the biggest thing is if for anyone that's newer, and I know some people geek out on building their own arrows and, and that's fine. But for a guy like me, I was like, I just want something that's good for my setup that I can confidently go take to the whitetail woods. And so on our website, you can go on there, input your draw length, draw weight, uh, the total point weight. So like if you're going to shoot a hundred grain broadhead, you select hundred grain. And then if you want whatever insert, you can select the insert. And it's going to tell you the total arrow weight, the FOC and the the total arrow length. Um, and that's huge. So like you can play around with there of like, if I want, uh, you know, a brass versus titanium or stainless, you can go in and see how that impacts your arrow. And we actually just added some additional fletching options too for both arrows. Um, so we have the arrow vein two, we have the Q2I uh, four fletch, and then we have the AE hybrids on the website too. And so we added a bunch of colors. That was one thing everyone, I want more colors. We just had white and black because so we want to keep it simple. People wanted a bunch of covers, colors. So you can go on there and you can play around with what the arrow is going to look like and, and you know pick your primary and secondary uh, fletching color. And so for anyone that wants to have their you know distinguished look for the arrow, they can do that. But Beyond all that, you're going to get something that is built and shipped to your door that is extremely accurate and built with a high level of craftsmanship. I mean, it's, uh, I've shot, I've kind of gone through before we came out with it. I was like, I went around a lot. I tried this one. I tried this one. I tried this one. And, you know, it's like, I always went back to the standard diameter 246, like basic three fletch arrow. And I think for everyone that has kind of gone through all the different arrow things, like there's a lot of information that we have of what makes a good whitetail arrow. And I think that, that we make the right one. I know Right. Are, are you still a heavier arrow guy? Uh, I'm kind of in the middle. I was at just about 500 grains with my broadheads last year. So I was okay, real happy with that setup. Yeah, that seems to be a, a good place. And yeah. uh, I tell you what, people, you tell, it's like uh, trying to change someone to how they vote, whether it's Republican or Democrat. Like that's kind of <laughs> what it feels like trying to tell someone what arrows they should oh, shoot. <laughs> Oh, we had a group text going with all the ranchberry stuff came out. We had a group text going and we got a buddy who just, I mean, we, for days, days. Yep. Brent, I'm sure you're listening. And, uh, <laughs> and it was, but to your point, it's, 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 it's that kind of conversation. Um, and that's, that's where I'm at too. Last year with the MMTs, I was at like 530, 150 grain up front. Um, like I said, on your podcast up at TAC, 
I just I I abuse those arrows. They're tough. I don't break I don't break one of them. I shot into trees, I bounced off trees. Um, and that was a concern of mine. Like we partnered with you guys when you had your cameras. Yeah. And that was and I already knew from hearing everybody else and from testing, they were good cameras. When the arrows came out, I was like, oh boy, you know, like <laughs> I shoot, I shoot nice Easton access arrows and name my kid Easton. Like I'm I'm good with with what I have. And I got them and I shot them and they literally darts right yeah. next to him like okay i didn't touch a thing uh-huh. you know I, I gave the specs to cam and, and through the arrow builder on, on your website and man i broke a doe's leg at 23 yards last year mature doe with uh-huh. 525 grains yeah. so offset leg um and then after the tack shoot um I, i'm in i mean yeah that's how you make a believer out of somebody is you you put them through the test like go out there and shoot them mm-hmm. don't take our word for it go shoot them yeah absolutely go shoot like go go try them you have to try them. i yeah. don't think i broke a single shaft either and i shot i think i shot three or four does with the same arrow in the suburbs love here it. for our doe patrol so awesome yeah that's the, straight tough that's the biggest thing and to me it's just something that you can take out of the box with confidence that they're going to be accurate and they're all going to fly the same and uh you know, you know, maybe it's just a product of some of the, the archery shops around here, but it's like every now and then you get, you know, one or two stubborn arrows that just don't fly the same for whatever reason. And so it's just uh, takes all the guesswork out of it, too. I know for anyone that's newer or a little uncertain, go into an archery shop and then they you say, well, I, you know, I'm not really sure what I want to get. And they usually just go whatever is they sell the most out of or sell the most of and just get you set up. And so it's like there's really no discovery questions of like what well, what is what is, what is your goal? What do you plan on? Do you have any goals? So like we have all these different things that just take all of that out and you guys order them and then we ship them to you. Like very simple. Yeah. Or if you're behind on time, like probably the three of us sitting here, like you want to be efficient with all your stuff all the time <laughs> and try to get stuff done. I don't have, I used to sit around with a beer and a chew in and I would flush my arrows. <laughs> I had the hunting channel on. It'd take me three hours. It was awesome. I yeah. haven't done that in 10 years. That'd be nice. Um, but well, yeah, we got just, you covered. We got you covered. It's awesome. <laughs> Any any other new products you guys are coming out with? You said you could tease. So okay. Yeah, so we're coming out with another standard camera. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so we're coming out with another standard camera that we're really excited. Um, it's going to be freaking awesome. And so this isn't, I would say it's not reminiscent of the Trek for anyone that remembers that. It's going to be more reminiscent of like the Lift 2. And so it's going to be, if you are a guy that likes to run video, I don't, man, it's going to be freaking sweet. That's all I got to say. And so mm. we've been working on this one for a while. And, uh, you know, sometimes it just takes a little longer for us to get to market um, than, than what we initially t- anticipate or, or hope for. But we want to make sure we get it right. And it's going to be very, very exciting. And we have uh, we have some other exciting things coming down the pipeline um, that should be early next year. Um, so we're just chugging along and I feel like we usually get in trouble when we say stuff too early. So I'm just going to be, I'm going to be wiser here and not say any dates or anything too specific. But um, if you're looking for a new standard camera, that is a higher end uh, camera, you're going to like it. I mean, if, if you, if you use the lift too, you're going to absolutely love this. If you're a guy that's considered, uh, you know, wanting to learn more by running video mode, this thing is going to be so cool. I mean, the we're, we're testing them now and they're, it's really cool. I mean, I, anyone that has a YouTube channel that wants some sweet B-roll, like it's going to be killer. Okay, nice. Well, we look forward to that, Jake. That's awesome. Um, you know, had you on for about an hour so far. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I do have one more thing, rapid fire. I don't think we were doing the rapid fire questions last time when uh, you were on. So no, I'm excited for this. You're ready. I'm going to hit you. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Favorite beverage. Number one, go. I really like uh, uh, Propel. Yeah. Propel uh, packets, mix that in with the water. That that's I like that. If I know it has aspartame, it's probably gonna kill me, but uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> 
Favorite venison or wild game recipe? If you shoot that big buck this fall, how are you? How are you cooking? I love uh, venison tacos, and I also love back straps with the, like the cream cheese wrapped in bacon. You know, that's that's I would say two of my favorite whitetail dishes that I mm. I crave. Oh man, for sure. Uh, fixed blades or mechanical broadheads? I've been a mechanic or I've been a fixed blade broadhead guy for a super long time. And I'm kind of like mentally going through this battle or this year of what I want to do. I'm probably going to stick with a with a fixed blade broadhead. People make really compelling points for both. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that wants to learn, but uh, I've been mechanical basically my whole life. Basically, every buck I've shot has been a mechanical. Or excuse me, a, a fixed broadhead. Fixed broadhead, to be clear. Okay. Fixed broadhead. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which one are you going for? Do you know? Prob- um, so I used the, I've used the G5 Striker a lot in the past, and I've also used the K2 Afflictor. Um, I've liked those. So those are kind of the two that I, I always gravitate towards cool uh do you hunt preset stands blinds or do you hunt mobile the most well the first half of the season permanent well second half of the season basically at mobile non-stop um yeah I, I i do a lot of hanging hunts uh throughout the season especially like as the the rut ramps up or if i see things i need to change um i would not like self-identify as a pure mobile guy but i'm gonna do what i need to do to try to get an opportunity and a lot of time that means moving around Sure, sure. Uh, food, water, or cover? What is most important on your farms? <laughs> Depends on the farm. At my house, I'd say cover is the biggest thing that I'm working on. On the other farm, it was food. So um, I think, man, when you have that good food source, it is this deer just a lot more predictable. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I think food is probably the biggest component. But if you don't have cover and they're bedding a mile away, then you're gonna want cover. So. That would be my answer to that. Perfect. Over the last couple of years, you've been doing a lot of habitat work. What do you think your favorite tool or implement is uh, today here, August of 2023? I love a chainsaw, man. That's that's a that's a warning. You get a good forearm workout when you're running that thing. <laughs> you get a good sweat going on. I think uh, a chainsaw is fun to use and uh, um, still still getting better with the chainsaw, but aren't we all? Yeah, <laughs> I thought he was going to say bulldozer and operator. <laughs> you know, yeah, that is for sure. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the bankroll to sustain that for too long, <laughs> uh, but chainsaws are fun. And uh, I bought a tractor earlier this year, too. And it's it's I mean, there's something therapeutic about running a tractor on on any piece of ground. So no I mean, doubt. That's fun All right. I think we did ask you this last time, but let's ask it again. Your favorite tree. You've been planting a lot of trees. You and Richard yeah. out there. Yeah. So what, what, what's your favorite tree now today? Probably swamp white oak or, or white oak variety is probably my favorite tree. I mean, I, I've come to I've come to learn to love a lot of trees for a lot of different reasons and not to nerd out on it too much. But um, Go ahead. I, like, <laughs> I, I like I like walnuts for the obvious reason of the potential. I mean, just like as an investment vehicle, to be completely honest, I'm not saying cutting trees just to cut trees, but to take care of them and release them and give them the encouragement to grow to a great maturity. That's something that I really enjoy. Like I have some walnuts at my house and I'm looking around like, oh, man, can I, you know, get that get rid of that junk tree or this one? And so uh, for obvious reasons, that one's good. But uh, white oaks are awesome and planted some keeper pears, planted some apple trees. So I don't know if those are my favorite yet, but I feel like you just can't beat the the, the majestic white oak. You just you see an old growth white oak. I don't like if you don't look at it and appreciate it. I don't know what to think about you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brian, I saw you perk up when you mentioned pears there. Love those keepers, man. Love them. How many yeah, I got- planted do you think, Brian? <laughs> How many have I planted? Over the Jeez. years. At least over a hundred. Nice. Sure. Yeah. Any any tips on keeping care of them? I, I got uh, I got mine fenced off. I got them mulched. And that's that's as far as I got so far. That's all you need. Uh, put a little screen or something on the bottom to keep the mice and the rabbits from getting in there. Okay. I'll, I got the screen in my garage. I just need to go put it on there. So that's good. Awesome. Well, Jake, really appreciate you, buddy. Thank you uh, always for your partnership and especially tonight for your time. 
And uh, man, look forward to seeing what you sent us for, uh, you know, the, what, the, the gripping grin, they call it this fall. I'll be grinning, hopefully. Um, and if not, I'm just going to enjoy the ride, keep a loose grip and uh, enjoy what the season has to provide. And just, you know, realize that we only have so many seasons. We only have so many Novembers and don't be mm. sour about it and just freaking enjoy it. Take some deep, fresh uh, breaths of air and look at the trees, look at the wildlife and Soak it in because we only get so many. Great advice. Great Absolutely. Advice. Yeah, everybody wants to follow along with what you're doing. They can go where? Uh, so Exodus Outdoor Gear and then Exodus basically on all social platforms. Uh, you can find uh, everything with Exodus there. You can find the Lane Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts every Monday. And then um, I'm not a big social media guy, ironically, uh, but you can follow me on Instagram at Jake Hofer. Awesome, buddy. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it, man. Great chat. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Good seeing you. There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the Habitat podcast. They have some great episodes every single week as well. If you are looking to learn more about Habitat, they have a pile of guests and they talk about a lot of different parts of the country, depending on where you are at. And uh, great guys, great show. So be sure to check it out. And if you guys enjoyed this conversation, it'd really help out if you left a five-star written review. I thank every person that has left a review. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. It helps us reach more people. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Until next time, see you guys.